Now, this morning, the title for the message is Real Faith Trusts God with the Future. It's Real Faith Trusts God with the Future. And if you think about the future, for many people, maybe you've had times in your life, the future, you might have even described it as possibly scary. Simply because the future is unknown to us. We don't have a crystal ball. We're, we're not God. We can't peer into the future. So there's a ton of unknowns. And for example, in our own society right now, if you listen to the news, you will hear all kinds of analysts and experts give their theory about the future. But the truth is, they don't know. Like, what's going to happen with Russia and Ukraine? Well, only God knows. Well, what about China? I keep hearing about China. Only God knows. I keep hearing about possible recession. I've heard for months, is it this year? Is it next year? No one knows. But if you're not careful, things like that can really bother us because we just don't know what's really going to happen. Should I save more money? Should I invest more money? Should I buy this or not buy that? Because I'm just not sure what's going to happen. What's going to happen with my job? But the thing is, if you read the Bible long enough, you'll find that God never wants his children to be worried about the future. He never calls for us to worry about that. Simply put, logically, we can't do anything about it. So there's no point in even worrying about it because it's, it's out of your control. But it's natural, though. I mean, I admit that it's natural to worry about it. But God wants Christians to trust him with the future. And that's the theme and the title for our point today is our faith, real faith, should let us trust God with the future. What we're going to see here this morning is look at three men, Isaac, Jacob and Joseph, and these three, they're sort of connected together by that common thread, that theme. And what we'll see from them is they sort of peered ahead into the future, and they were able to express faith in God's ability to control and maintain and manage future events even after they would die. They still had faith that God would work all things out even after their lives were over and they were gone. So real faith should lead us Christians to fully trust God to handle the future. Why? Because we know God will do what he said he would do, even if we won't live to see it in this life. What that should cause us to do then is live in the present day with faith and obedience as if we already have those future promises in our lives. So I'll explain that as I go, but that's kind of how I want you to think about this. There's future promises God has given his people, and you may not see them come true in this lifetime. It may be the next in heaven. But what God calls us to do is live kind of like as if you've got them today. He wants you to live in light of those promises today. That's what these three gentlemen that we'll look at, that's exactly what they did. So in these examples, we'll see how they express their faith by expressing full confidence that God held the future. They knew God would do what he said he would do beyond their death. They could hold on to those promises. Again, how could they live with such confidence? The theme of chapter 11 is by faith, by faith. Everything's by faith. That's the point here again. By their faith, they could live in obedience to God and with confidence because they knew he held the future. So they trusted God with that, that future. So I want to look at these examples to see how real faith causes us to trust God with the future. And I'd like you to stand if you can. Um, let's start reading in verse 20 out of respect for God's word. And it reads in 1120, By faith Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. 
By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Let's pray for a moment. Lord Jesus, thank you, as Bruce and them have sung, that we have blessed assurance. We have things that our soul can sing and praise to you about that, as he also said so wonderfully, Lord, that there are things that we're doing here today that a lost world, an ungodly world would look at and, and jeer and they would mock. But Lord, we know we have settled assurances and know that you are our God, you are our Savior, and we thank you for these realities. And I ask now, God, that you would help every heart and mind here to understand what we need to hear about these three men, your servants from old. Thank you for all you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So, real faith trusts God with the future. Let's look at how these three guys did that. Now, how I want to format this today, I want you to hang with me. I'm just going to try to quickly, and you know, my definition of quickly is probably odd at times, but I'm going to do my best to run through these three. I just want to share the, the historical event of why he mentioned them. And so, I'm going to hold off on, you may be asking, but you know, what's the point? That'll be at the end. So, I want to share the kind of the history of these three from the Bible's view, and then we'll kind of at the end wrap this up and say, now here's kind of what I think we can learn from these guys. The first one is Isaac. Let's look at him. He says in verse 20 here, Isaac did something now by faith. Well, his point is that by faith, here's what Isaac did. Isaac spoke of future promises as certain to happen. Again, future promises yet to happen, but he could speak about them as if he could say, it's as if they're happening right now. They hadn't happened in real life, but he could speak with such confidence. He knew they're going to happen, and I'm talking as if they are happening right now. So and look at verse 20 in chapter 11. By faith, Isaac, now the English standard says, invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. The word order here in the Greek language, how it works, it's pretty interesting. And I just share this with you for this quick little tidbit here. In English, we kind of miss something. It says, by faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. But if you were to be able to look at this in Greek, what they did is word order was everything in Greek. In English, we're big on subject first and then the verb and then the object. Greek threw all that out of the water. In New Testament Greek, they would front load words at the front of the sentence to show emphasis. That's what was important. Well, I say that to you because Isaac is one of the last words in the sentence. He's not the point. The point he wants us to see is what Isaac was talking about. And he puts the emphasis in Greek on this idea that he was talking about future things yet to come. So that's his focus is it's this stuff about there was things in the future yet to happen. And yet these guys were living as if they were so confident about it. They acted like they already had it today. So here then with Isaac's story, he says, look, he blessed his two sons, Jacob and Esau, but again, I, I point out again and stress to you the beauty of this or why Isaac's mentioned here, because by faith, he could speak about future realities in the present. They hadn't happened yet. Isaac had not seen that these things would come to pass, yet he called upon them. He spoke their blessing, so to speak, over his sons as if to say, you know, sons, I'm going to die and pass on, but you're going to live on and I know for a fact that all the promises God gave to Abraham and to Isaac, now to Jacob and secondarily Esau, but mostly Jacob, he was saying to them, 
It's going to happen. There is no doubt about it. God will make good on all of these promises. So he had full confidence of the future then. The word blessed here in English, the ESV I read out of, says invoked future blessings. Yours may say he blessed Jacob and Esau, and then it'll have that phrase regarding events yet to come or regarding the future. Um, and that's a good way to put it. The word blessing here simply means when you speak over someone a type of divine favor. So you're not acting like God, but it's as if you're speaking, saying, I have such high thoughts about you that it's like I'm calling down God's favor on your life. I'm speaking so highly about your life and your future. It means to praise someone, so to speak, to honor them with your words, to maybe even you could actually have the authority to declare something about their future that you want to happen because you want it to work out well for them. Now, the word blessed in the Greek is where we sort of get our English word eulogy. And I share that because a eulogy at a funeral usually or memorials where those are shared, you've, you've heard them, you know what they are, but they're when we speak well about the deceased. We sort of honor their life. We look back and we offer that eulogy. That's a, what he means. It's a type of blessing about saying, hey, let's focus on all the good things about their life. But here's the irony right here, though. What Isaac did here is it was the opposite. He spoke a eulogy, so to speak, before the people died. Imagine a eulogy that's not after their death. I give it to you before you, I die or you die. And I say, hey, let me go ahead and offer your eulogy now, your blessing now, because I know what's in your future. I know and trust that God is going to do good and bring blessings into your future. And that's what Isaac did for his sons here. He spoke this over them, invoking God's privileges on them. Now, you may know the story. I'll just share it real quickly. The author in Hebrews here glosses over something because, in my opinion, it's not his point. So I'm not going to make it my point, but I just want to throw it out at you. If you know the story between Jacob and Esau, you know Esau was the firstborn, and you know that Isaac, the dad, wanted to give Esau the big blessing, the big inheritance. But then you may know that Jacob stole it. He tricked his dad. He sort of put on an Esau costume, and Isaac was old and almost blind, and so he lied to his dad and made his dad think that, that Jacob made him think he was Esau. So then Isaac gave that blessing to Jacob when he meant to give it to Esau. But again, Hebrews doesn't go there. He doesn't talk about the morality of what happened. He just simply says, this is what did happen. Well, what did happen is Isaac had two sons and with both sons he gave. Yes, they were different blessings, but they still each were spoken well of about God's favor in their future. And Isaac knew he would die, but said it's going to happen. Let me read you some quotes of just a couple of these. In Genesis chapter 27, here's verse 26 through 29. It says, uh, his father Isaac said to him, this is to Jacob, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and he kissed him. Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, see, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the, the dew of heaven, the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Now, Isaac thought he was saying that to Esau, but he ended up saying it to Jacob, like I said. The importance for this is, all the way back in Genesis chapter 12, you have this guy named Abraham, 
And God made some promises to Abraham and said, hey, by the way, Abraham, you don't have a child yet and you're too old to have a child. But by divine miracle, you and your wife will have a son. And through that son, God didn't just say, give him a son. He said, do something awesome here. He said, I'm going to take that son and through him, I'm going to make you basically form a nation, an entire country. Well, what's the big deal about that? It was who would come through that country? Jesus Christ. Abraham and Isaac were going to form Israel. And later on, Israel would give birth to the family that the Son of God come through, humanly speaking. So God, way back then, was setting the stage to offer salvation to the whole world through this man Abraham and his offspring. But Abraham didn't see that come true. The promise was passed to Isaac. Isaac didn't see it come true. That promise was passed to Jacob. And on and on it goes until only in God's timing, hundreds of years down the line, did all of the descendants start to form. So that's the big deal of this promise. Isaac said, well, I want to give that to Esau. He's the firstborn. That's his birthright. But he gives it to Jacob. But nonetheless, Isaac still spoke a minor blessing over Esau. When they realized what happened, Esau come in. He's upset. In Genesis 27, 39, you read, where Isaac said, well, I have a, like a small blessing I can give you. It's not nearly as good as what I gave to Jacob. And here's what he says. Isaac, his father, answered Esau and said, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth you shall dwell, away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now, that's not nearly as cool as Jacob's. He wasn't promised the line of the Messiah to come and all this greatness. But nonetheless, Isaac still could save Esau. God has a, a plan for you. You're still going to do great things. You'll, you'll have to live off the land like a mighty warrior, but you will be so. Now, Esau's blessing, again, not as lofty, but the point why Hebrews shares these things, though, is, again, he wants us to see that Isaac had such faith that he could call upon future events and speak about them with absolute certainty over his sons. He said, I know I'm going to die, but it doesn't matter. They're going to come true. These things will happen in your lives, Jacob and Esau. So that's his focus for us. Isaac knew with full faith that God would carry out the promise from Abraham and to Isaac and now on to Jacob. You have to think of it like this. If Isaac did not have faith that God would do what he promised in the future, why else would he have spoken these blessings to begin with? It's because he knew that down the road, God would honor his promises so he could speak with full confidence and assurance to his sons that these things were going to happen. Because he had faith in God to keep his word, to keep his promises. Isaac would die, but knew God would not fail to keep the promise. So that didn't cause Isaac to doubt the future about God's promise to honor his sons and that family line that would form to bring the Messiah. Isaac trusted God with the future. How could he do that? By his faith. He could sort of see beyond his own lifetime through his eye of faith, so to speak. He could kind of peer into the future because he had a promise from God he had heard and he just knew it will not fail. I'm, my body may fail, my time may end, but that promise will not end. So he could speak in the present with confidence about the future because he trusted God's promises would never fail. If you remember in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 2, where, or excuse me, I meant to say verse 1, where this whole thing sort of began, Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Meaning you've not seen them yet, but you have settled conviction that there's good is done going to happen. 
Isaac here is expressing that with a real life example. He could speak in such a way that he could say, the future is as sure as done because God will never lie. So that's where Isaac comes into the picture. Let's move to Jacob. Well, Jacob's point is this. He was facing death, like physical death. He's about to die. And he expressed faith. What did he do? Well, by faith, Jacob faced death with confidence about the future. So his life on earth is going to end. And yet Jacob could sort of look beyond that by faith and say, my life may be about to end, but I also trust God with my future after I die. So let's look at his story here. In verse 21, he now picks up Jacob and says, by faith, Jacob, and this is the emphasis, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. So the point he wants us to see here is in this phrase, when dying. That's the emphasis he puts. And it's interesting because in the Greek language, that verb, when dying, it's present tense, meaning literally you would translate it like this, as he was dying. When, whenever we're about to read this, I want you to keep in mind, he's trying to get us to see Jacob was literally on his deathbed, and then he did, did this stuff. He said these things. He wasn't like dying in a year from now or even three months from now. He's like in the moment of drawing his final breath. And this is how he could express his faith. So he wants us to focus with it like that. Jacob faced imminent death. He knew it. And yet he could also speak about the future with confidence. How could he trust God with the future? Let's let's look at that. Well, there's two things he did. He blessed Joseph's sons. And the second thing he says, he worshiped God. And again, while dying, he's in the process of dying and he can still worship God and trust God with the future. Well, in Genesis chapter 48 is where you'll find this story here. There's a lot more to the story, but again, I just want to read you some snippets of it. But in Genesis 48, it'll pick up in verses one through two. The setting for this is that you may remember Jacob is a very old man now. He's literally dying. They're in Egypt because there was a famine And Joseph, one of his sons, became second in command of Egypt, right hand of Pharaoh, basically. And Joseph spared all of the family of Isaac and Jacob and so forth. He sort of saved that promise, kept it alive, literally from dying off because of a famine. So they're in Egypt, and Jacob here is going to now pronounce some final blessings as well, just like Isaac just did. And in verse 1, it says in Genesis 48, After this, Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And it was told to Jacob, Your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in the bed. So again, I stress, like he, he's literally dying, and he just manages to sort of get this out before he passes on. He's near death, and then here's what he does. Skip down to verse 15, and it says that this is Jacob now talking. He blessed Joseph and said, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. Now he means Joseph's two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And in them let my name be carried on and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. So here you see again, Jacob faces imminent death, physical death, and yet musters the strength to pronounce a blessing over some of his descendants again. And what he's basically said is one of Joseph's two sons, they're sort of elevated to the level of Joseph and his brothers. They're going to be that blessed so well. Now I want to skip to verse 21, and here's what else he says. Israel said to Joseph, Israel's another name for Jacob, 
Behold, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you rather than to your brothers one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. Now, I share that with you to make this point here from the story. Jacob is, again, literally dying, but he could face death with confidence about the future by faith. Again, if he was worried that his death ended at all, he wouldn't talk like this. But he talks with such confidence to his next generation offspring and says, God will do these things for you. I may die, but the promise carries on through you. He had such confidence like that. He could speak about the future with settled conviction that it was going to happen even after he died. Like Isaac blessed Jacob. Now Jacob has full confidence in God's ability to carry out his future plans. If he didn't, again, he wouldn't be talking like this. The next thing Jacob did is he worshipped also while he was dying. If you back up to chapter 47, verse 31, it reads, And he said, this is Jacob talking, Swear to me, and he swore to him. This is him talking to Joseph. Then Israel, that's Jacob, bowed himself upon the head of his bed. Now, Hebrews is taking that verse and making a point here. This phrase, bowed himself, is the idea of worship. But literally, he, it's as if he laid himself out face down in reverence and respect before God. So he's dying, he's in his old age, his life's coming to a close, and this is his response about the future. He wasn't afraid of death. He wasn't whining with God about, this isn't fair, I didn't get enough time, I had things left to do. No, he can, on his deathbed, lay himself out in worship in submission to the Lord's will over his life. Now, Hebrews says that he leaned on his staff. Just a quick note, where that's coming from, if you see here in verse 31 in Genesis, it says he leaned on the head of his bed. Well, over time, the Hebrew Bible was translated into Greek, and there was a bit of a swapping of words, and the word in the Greek translation became his staff. So Hebrews quoted that. I'm not honestly sure which one it is. I'm going to prefer the word staff, and here's why. I think Hebrews wants us to see that in his old age, on his deathbed, Jacob could speak about the future, just like Isaac could, that God was going to make good on it. But the second thing he could do is that that staff, that thing that he had used to travel throughout all of his life, throughout his journeys, and he said to Joseph, God has been with me throughout my whole life. It's as if on his staff he could say, but with my dying breath, I will still use this staff not to walk, not to travel, but to die worshiping my God. I can still praise God and honor him even in my death. Now the point here is, I believe he wants us to see, is Jacob again, like Isaac, did not see these promises come true in his lifetime. But yet he could speak so certain about them that God would make them come true generations down the road. Abraham passed them on to Isaac and Isaac to Jacob, and now Jacob has passed them on to the next generation. However, though Jacob had such faith, he knew that God would never fail to make those promises come true. Jacob was dying, and yet he could still pronounce a blessing about the future over the next generation. That means Jacob was confident, fully confident, that God would do what he promised in the future. Even in the face of death, Jacob had faith in God's ability to carry out his word. Jacob had confidence about the future while dying. That's what I want us to see. While on his deathbed, I mean, if you think about that, in our society, it's natural when people are sort of dying and they know it. There's fear, there's panic, there's, oh my goodness, life is over. Jacob doesn't have that. He worships God 
He speaks about the future with confidence. How could he do that? Because he had faith in God was holding the future. He even had confidence that after he died, he would see his God. He didn't just have confidence in the future for his offspring. He had confidence in his own future. Jacob knew death was not the end of his life. It was sort of the doorway into the rest of his eternal life. And he had that kind of confidence and expressed it with worship and praise as he died. So he died expressing his faith. He lived in faith and he died in faith, trusting God's ability to handle his future even after death. The third guy, Joseph here, what did he do? Back in Hebrews 11, verse 22, it says, By faith, Joseph, and then it will share with us something he did. He says, By faith, Joseph, again, just like Jacob, he wants to point out at the end of his life. So as as Joseph is dying, here's what he did as well. Well, he didn't offer a blessing over anybody. He gave orders. He gave a command. Here's what he did. He says he made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Now, the ESV, which you all know I love, but it doesn't do something quite right here because the actual wording is best to see here what Joseph did. He gave orders like a general. He didn't give directions. He gave commands. The command was, he said, I'm going to die and my body will be in this grave, this casket, whatever, for so long, it'll be nothing but bones. But the orders he gave was, but one day God will make good on his promises. He will deliver Israel out of Egypt to the promised land. So he said, you're to take my bones, even my bones with you out of this land. And he ordered them to do that. What's going on here is Joseph, again, by faith, is showing confidence that God will continue to work out his plans even after he is long dead and gone. Again, he made mention of the Exodus, it says. Well, literally, that's the book of Exodus in the Old Testament. That's what that whole story is about. But the thing is, Joseph remembered a prophecy God made to Abraham long, long ago. Somewhere around Genesis chapter 15 and 17, you can read that God told Abraham, he said, you'll have many descendants. They'll form a nation in a foreign land called Egypt. And then God said, for 400 years, they will be enslaved in that land. But God said, one day, though, I will deliver them out with a mighty hand and take them into the promised land and then fulfill all the promises that I've made to you. But again, 400 years is a long time to wait. But look how Joseph talked here. He points out that Joseph comes to the end of his life like Jacob did. And Joseph said, I remember, I remember that this is not it. God has not failed. I will die But hundreds of years later, God will make good on his promise that he made hundreds of years ago to Abraham. He will deliver our people out of Egypt. So that's how he talks here. He has such confidence. He says, I'm going with you, not me living, but my bones are going to go with you. So take my bones out of this land of slavery to the free land, the promised land when you leave. Again, this is stressing his faith that he had, his confidence that God could control the future. In Genesis chapter 50 is where you read this. It says in verse 24 and 25, Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you. You shall carry up my bones from here. And the fulfillment is in Exodus chapter 13, verse 19. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you. You shall carry up my bones from here. 
The point with him sharing this here is like Jacob, as Joseph's life was ending, he faced death with confidence. Confidence in what? He knew that even after he died, God would continue to work out his plans long after Joseph was dead and gone. That's what I want us to see from Joseph's example here. He had confidence about the future that even when he physically died in this life, it wasn't over. The plan wasn't over. God's promises didn't stop. He knew that after he died, God would continue to work all things out that he had planned so long ago. How did he express that? The proof, again, he ordered Israel to take literally his bones with them when God would deliver them out. He had faith that that is exactly what was going to happen. Now, what do we learn from these three men? Here's what I want to share with you. So these are three examples that Hebrews gives us uh, uniting this theme together. And again, the theme is they trusted God with the future. The future wasn't fulfilled in their earthly lifetime, but yet they could trust God with it no matter what. They spoke about it confidently. They trusted God in that kind of way with that much faith. Faith in God, faith in God's power to carry out his promises is what they show an example of. They had faith that even after their own deaths, like with Jacob and, and Joseph, they had such faith that even after they died, they knew God would still carry on the work, the promises yet to come. That one day a nation would form and Jesus Christ, the Messiah, would come through them. Now, what I think Hebrews wants us to see today is this. I think he's putting them in here to say, look, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph had full confidence that God would do what he said he would do in the future, even though they died and didn't see it come true in their lifetime. What they did, though, is by faith, they trusted the future to God. So they lived in the present with full obedience to him. They lived as if those promises were real and true in their day, even though they haven't seen them come true yet. The question would be, how do we have faith that trusts God with an uncertain future like these guys could? Well, let's look at Isaac real quick. Here's what we see from him. My point with sharing Isaac with you was he could speak of future promised events as if certain. Future events not yet to come, but spoke about them in the present as if they were certain to come. The point for us would be, by faith, you and I must trust in God's future promises. How do I begin to trust God with the uncertain future? I literally just start by trusting in faith like Isaac could. I trust that whatever God has promised about my future, it is absolutely going to happen. There will be no failing to God's promises about my future or your future. We could say it another way. By faith, Christians must trust that what God has promised in the future yet to come is as good as done for us today. So it's when you say, God, you've promised something in heaven, in eternity, that I won't fully realize it and have it until I'm in heaven, but I'm going to live my life today in light of that promise as if I have it today. I'm going to live like that. Isaac trusted future promises yet to come were to be considered as if they were already done in the present. The point is, Isaac didn't live saying, I hope God will do this. Maybe God will do that. No, he lived saying, I know God will do that, so I will live like it. Christians have promised, we have many things God's promised us in his word. I won't go through them all, but the point is when you read the scriptures and you see God's promised you something about your future, the point for us would be then to simply accept it on faith and never doubt that God will never not do that for you. We count on these promises and live life today as if you already have them. We have faith that God will fulfill them in his time. We also trust that God controls our future 
We trust in his guidance of our future. Isaac, the example with him too, he accepted God's plans. Remember I told you briefly, he wanted Esau to get that blessing. But instead Jacob got it and he stole it. But nonetheless, Isaac accepted that and said, then this is God's will. Then Jacob will carry on that blessing and Esau has his own little blessing. But Isaac accepted that God was guiding and controlling the future and he lived in light of that with obedience and trust. Some examples would be the Bible tells us on the one hand, there's always these parallels in the Bible. The New Testament says that if you have faith in Jesus Christ and he's your Lord and Savior, you have been declared righteous. Now, I emphasize the word declared. God has said about you, that's your status. You're righteous. You're holy. However, if you and I are honest, living the life we live practically day to day on earth, we know that we are not actually righteous and holy, are we? Not fully. We're declared righteous. That's our status. But our practical life don't always reflect that we're righteous, holy people. So on the one hand, God says you're righteous. On the other hand, we have yet to become fully righteous and fully holy. That won't be until we're in heaven and we have the new bodies and there's no more sin and no more death. But the point is, we see these promises and what we should do. Like Isaac, we live in the present as if we are a righteous, holy person because we are. So we strive to live in light of those promises. So by faith, we live like it. Victory, another example is victory has been declared to Jesus Christ already. The New Testament teaches, specifically Paul, that when Jesus died on that cross and rose again, a lot of things happened. Yes, we were offered salvation, but a lot of other things happened behind the scenes. And one of the big ones that happened, Paul says that what Jesus really did is he won victory. Victory over death itself. I mean, he rose again from the dead. That proves you have power over death. He defeated Satan on the cross. Satan is doomed to an eternal destiny of torment and judgment. He's already lost. So on the one hand, victory has been declared and handed over to Jesus Christ. However, on the other hand, we know that Jesus Christ is not fully ruling over our society yet, is he? Satan is still running about doing his thing. But the Bible says, but make no mistake about it, one day Jesus Christ will shut this wicked program down. He's already got the authority to do it. He's already won. He just has yet to come and sort of stand up on the victor's podium and declare his victory. He's calling people first into the kingdom. Then he will bring about that full victory on earth. But the point is, we, we hear that promise and say, Jesus Christ has already won the victory. I will reign with him one day as one of his children. So then no matter what happens to me here in this life, no matter how bad it might be, and it may be bad, I'm going to try to let my mind be guided by that promise that I may lose in ways done here on earth, but I've already got victory through Jesus Christ. It's going to happen one day. I don't doubt that promise. Matthew chapter 6, 25 through 34 is a very good passage to read. I won't read it all to you. But there in Matthew, in chapter 6, Jesus basically takes a moment to teach these people following him. He says, hey, you, you shouldn't have anxiety. You shouldn't worry about life. And he kind of uses that word anxiety for their day. There's lots of people today with anxiety of various issues. And Jesus says, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't have anxiety. Well, why not, Jesus? That's easy for you to say. He says, no, you don't understand. When you have anxiety, that's when you're doubting something about the future. When you have anxiety, the people in his day had a lot of anxiety. They were worried about where they'd get food tomorrow. You got to think they didn't have fridge, refrigerators, freezers, electricity. So they would get food just for the day. They couldn't store up food in a fridge and eat it a week later. 
they got food day to day to day to day after day. So every day a person would wake up if they were working class and have to ask themselves, will I make enough money to go to the market and buy enough food to feed my family just today? And then tomorrow I do it all over again and the next day. So that's the kind of world they lived in. We're not used to that, but they were. And so Jesus could say to people like that, stop worrying about where you'll get food tomorrow. What do you mean? I don't have a fridge and a freezer like these future people will have. I don't know where I'll get food tomorrow. Jesus said, don't worry about that. Stop worrying about your clothes and where you'll get clothes. Stop worrying about your future. Well, Jesus, how can you say that? Because in Matthew 6, 31 through 34, I'll summarize it. Jesus basically says, because God holds your future. He takes care of birds. He makes sure they get food. Aren't you more important than a bird? He takes care of the grass. He sees to it that, yeah, it dies today, but it grows back next season. Aren't you more important than grass? If you're more important than a bird and grass, God will give you what you need. Maybe not always what we want, but what we need. So I share that to say this. That is a huge promise you have from Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. That, that you have a lot of things you could worry about in life, but at the end of the day, you should never have to stress and worry about your necessities. Why not? God's promised to always give them to you. In his timing and in his way, you will have them. So the point then with Isaac's example, we never doubt that promise. We live as if we know with settled assurance he will do that for us. Now with Jacob, real quick, what do we learn about him? By faith, Jacob faced death with confidence about the future. He was dying, yet it didn't bother him. In his death, he could speak with confidence about his children and grandchildren's future, his own future, life after death, and it caused him to worship God even on his deathbed. The point for us would be by faith, we can also face death with confidence about the future. By faith, Christians trust that even though we die physically in this life, God has promised good to you through Jesus Christ. We're promised eternal life through Jesus Christ. Life may end on earth, but it never ends in glory in God's presence through Christ. Now, we haven't fully seen that yet. You won't see that until you die one day. But faith that I'm talking about here says, but I'm going to live my life with that kind of confidence that it doesn't matter what happens to me here. My life could end. I don't care. I can worship even on my deathbed. Because I know that when I die here, I live there forever in God's presence. We can face death one day with confidence like that, like Jacob had. That should give us confidence in our lives today to know that even if it's dark and dismal down here, God holds your future. Even if your life comes to an end one day, he holds your eternal future if you're in Jesus Christ. The question would be, do we have that kind of confidence about the future like Jacob had? Joseph, real quick, our final one, what do we see from him? Well, remember, Joseph trusted that God would continue to work his plans even after he died. So here's our point. By faith, we trust that even though we die physically here in this life, God will continue to work long after you and I are gone. This is actually my favorite point I want to share with you. It gives me great comfort, at least. Joseph knew that his life and all the good things he did he was second in command of the most powerful nation of their time, arguably. He was like vice president. He knew that no matter all that he had done, when his life ended, it wasn't about him. It was about God. He knew and could speak with confidence and said, my life ends, but the plan of God doesn't end when my life ends. It goes on after me. God will continue to work after he died is the confidence he had. The point for us is we can likewise trust that when we work for the Lord, when you do something in this life for the Lord, when you serve Him with your talents and abilities, no matter how small you think it is, no matter how insignificant you think it is, if you're doing something for the Lord, you can have confidence that when you die, 
those efforts were not in vain. All of the things you did for the Lord don't stop even when you die. Whatever you've done for God's sake carries on after you've passed on and you die. How is that comforting? Well, because it says this to us. It means that all that stuff you're trying to do in your life, that you're trying to serve the Lord and grow in holiness and do the right things, it's not a waste. It's not in vain. Even if you feel like you're getting nowhere, it's not a waste. Even if on your deathbed you say, well, I guess I'd die, and now all that stuff I tried to do for God for 40 years is over, it's not over. Joseph could say, I'm dying, but this work carries on. I just won't be the one to see it, but it will go on. I thought of a way to think about this. Think about retirement. When someone retires, they retire from having done something probably for decades, maybe most of their life, they were invested in a career. So when someone retires, though, what typically happens, they'll find out, is they retire, and the next day, or the next week, guess what? That institution that they just left, it didn't stop because they retired. That thing that they were involved in, that work that they had committed themselves to, it carries on after them. Now, you were important. You played a big part in that institution's mission and cause for 20, 30, 40 years. But your time ends, you retire out, and new people come along, and they sort of stand on your shoulders now. And they carry on after you, and it moves forward into the future. But the point I'm stressing is, is you were important, but you were not the point of it. The point was what you were contributing yourself to, the mission of that institution. You served a purpose, and after you retired, the mission carries on. You had a part in it, but you weren't the point. Joseph recognized that. He says, I was very important. I saved this whole family from extinction. But it's not about me, he could say. I'm going to die, and God will keep working. He'll carry on. If it depended on us, then when we die, all the work would die too. But you see, it doesn't stop with us. It doesn't depend on us. That's how God works with his plans in our lives. He invites you to serve him with your talents and abilities. And when you do that, you can take comfort and have confidence in the future that even when you die, all those things you did for the Lord, they're not over. They don't stop. They carry on long after you are dead and gone. God will continue to use those things after you. Faith trusts God with the future that even after we're gone, he carries on. Faith trusts our service to God was for his glory and trust that the fruits of that carry on long after us. So what do we do? Well, we serve God passionately and faithfully, not trying to say, well, I'll only do this over here for God if I have assurances that it will lead to this and that and the other. No, you just do it and you trust the results to God. That's what Joseph could do. I thought about this church. I should have looked up how long the church has been here. I apologize, I've forgotten. This church has been here a long time, hasn't it? Well, what that means is that there were people, generations before us, members and pastors and deacons and teachers at this church, century, maybe even a century ago, who did their thing, did their service, and they died. But did the church die when they died? No, here we are today. It carried on after them because they knew they weren't the point of the church. Jesus Christ is and his mission they supported it, they served it, they died, and God carried it on long after them. That's how he works. The question would be, are you trusting God with your future, though? Even your future after your death. Are you trusting that God will continue to work long after you're gone here? So, remember, real faith trusts God with the future. Isaac, by faith, spoke of future promised events as certain to happen. Jacob, by faith, he faced death with confidence about the future. Joseph, by faith, faced death with confidence that God would continue to work even after he died. 
In those ways, I believe we can trust God with an uncertain future. We trust that the things God has promised about the future, He will never fail to keep them. So we live as if we have them now, with confidence. We trust that by faith, even when we face death one day, we can have confidence that God holds our future even after death. We trust by faith that also after we die one day, everything we did for the Lord isn't wasted. He carries on the work after us. Death does not stop God's plans and promises. I want to end by stressing this to us, though. Paul says in Philippians 1.21 that for him to live is Christ, meaning the point of his life on earth was Jesus Christ, and to die is gain. Paul says, I win either way. The longer I live, the more Jesus I'll serve. If I die, then I get to see Jesus, the one I was serving. That's the kind of confidence Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph had. They lived, they served by faith, but they died in faith too, saying, I'll get to see that stuff there. I may have not seen it now, but I'll see it then when I'm gone. Those men had that kind of faith that Paul could speak of too. Paul says something also interesting in 2 Corinthians 1, 19-20. I'll summarize it like this. Paul says, all of God's promises, all of them, they find their fulfillment, their yes, he says, in Jesus Christ. So I just want to end on this note. Everything I've said about promise this and promise that and future that, it means nothing. It is not true. It is not valid if someone is not born again through Jesus Christ. Paul said Jesus is the key that unlocks everything those guys, even back then, were putting their faith in. And if you don't have that key, if you haven't opened that door, so to speak, then you don't have God's promises unlocked in your life. Only through Christ, Paul says, do they find their fulfillment. Everything God's promised is only valid through Jesus Christ. Someone who has said, I know I'm a sinner, I admit that, I confess that to the Lord, put my faith and trust in Jesus, and He's forgiven me. You can't have any confidence about the future if Jesus has not forgiven you. It's not your Lord and Savior. I pray that that's true about you this morning. And as I do that, I want to come and offer a prayer. Bruce's people will be here. And I want to ask again, if you don't know how to have assurance of the future, maybe it's because you haven't fully relied on Christ, then you need to today. By professing your faith in Him, knowing you're forgiven, He gives you assurance of your future. Maybe you say, I am a Christian. I, I've already done that. I know that's true about me. Then what area of the future do you have doubts about? Today, maybe in the silence of the pew, you pray to God and say, God, help me be more like Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph to have faith like that, confident about the future. I'm going to pray, and Bruce and them will come. Lord, thank you for Hebrews, this book showing us these great people of old, who had faith long before us, our ancestors in the faith. I pray that you would help us to walk away here today, not just having learned history about them, but that we would truly see the great faith that they showed, that they had confidence about the future. God, may each of us walk out here today in an uncertain world with an uncertain future, having no uncertainty, though, about your faithfulness and goodness in our lives. And if someone doesn't know you, as Lord and Savior, would you convict them in a way that they must must repent and believe in Jesus today and get that settled before they leave. In your son's name I pray, amen.